Whit Criswell lived in Kentucky, was raised in a Christian home. I don't know if you, anybody run into Whit lately? No? No? Well, you look at him and you think, man, that dude's got his, he's got his life together, which he does. Um, but there was a time when he struggled. I think all of us uh, can identify with struggles, challenges. As a young man, Witt volunteered at his church. He was, uh, as he got older, he was the city councilman. He was part of the school board membership as well. He was involved in his community. But in the midst of all of this responsibility that he had, uh, Witt started gambling. And it was a secret part of his life, risking his income as a sports gambler, and he lost a lot more than he won. He found himself in desperate debt to his bookie. His addiction made chaos out of his personal finances, and he worked at a bank, and so he made the decision that he would embezzle $200,000 to pay off those debts, and... um, Usually what happens over time, the auditors detected a problem at the bank and they called to make an appointment. Criswell knew he had been caught. What would he do? Well, the night before the examination with the auditors coming to the bank, he had trouble sleeping. Can understand why. He resolved during the night that he, his only option was to, to end his life, to call it quits. He wrote his wife a suicide note, drove out of town, parked the car, put the gun to his head, but he couldn't pull the trigger. And so he rolled down the window, took a practice shot outside the the car window, and said, yeah, okay, I could do that. Now I need to do it to myself. Put the barrel back up to his head and mumbled to himself, "Uh, go ahead, pull the trigger. You're a loser anyway. This is what you deserve. Um, But again, he couldn't do it. Something prevented him from pulling that trigger. Finally, at dawn, he decided to go home. He was a broken man. His wife had found the notes. She called the police. When Witt came home, his wife ran and embraced him. The police handcuffed Witt, led him away, He was at once humiliated, humiliated, and liberated. Humiliated because he was arrested in front of his family and neighbors. Liberated from the chains and the lies of deception. He realized he didn't have to lie anymore. He didn't have to pretend. He didn't have to live a secret life any longer. It was somewhat liberating. Whit Criswell was set to prison... And it was during that time in that prison cell all alone that he came to his senses and realized that over time he stopped listening to the voice of God. And I think all of us recognize that voice. It could be a tap on your shoulder. It can be that small, still voice in the back of your head reminding us, you know, maybe what we're involved in. We need to stop doing. Maybe we need to make some changes. And uh, as all of us, we can decide to ignore that voice or we can just heed to it and, and make those changes that God wants. 
So it was in that cell that he realized that he had pushed God out of his life. He had become a very good pretender uh, at church with his family. And so he decided, you know what? I remember those days when I had a healthy relationship with the Lord and I'd like to restore that. And so in that cell, he put his faith in Christ once again. He spent over two years in a federal prison, getting out five months earlier because of good behavior. And when he was released, you can imagine it wasn't easy coming back home to his wife and family in the same small town where everybody knew, man, they knew because he had been on the front page in the newspaper and on the news. And he realized nobody was going to hire him because of his past. And so Witt and his wife talked, and they realized they needed to move out of that little town, relocate, try and get a, a decent job where he could support his family. And so they moved to Lexington, Kentucky in 1987. And it was there that a pastor had been following Witt's situation, where he had embezzled money, he had been arrested, he had gone to prison, kind of keeping track with him. And so... Um, he got a hold of Witten and invited him to attend his church and, and uh, get involved in any way he could. And Witt, in the process, still could not find a job in that big city of Lexington. And so Criswell began visiting the sick from the church, those that were imprisoned. And he started volunteering over 50 hours a week at the church, man. He did whatever he could to stay busy. And it was during that time that Witt realized, you know what, that draw, that, that attraction to gamble, it, it, it seemed to have left him. Something, something had changed on the inside of him. And so in 1990, the pastor where Witt had been volunteering realized, you know what, Witt, there's something unique about him, sensing that God had his hand on his life, that God was calling him into the ministry. And so at the age of 43, Witt Criswell delivered his first sermon as an associate pastor. Then in 1988, he got a call from another church inviting him to come to be their lead pastor. And uh, over the course of time, it happened, and uh, he's still pastoring that same church today. And uh, so when you look at Witt, you can smile and say, look at what the Lord has done. You know? You may be here today and your past, it's haunting you. Maybe you're involved in some secret lifestyle. You know? Nobody else knows about it. You think you're hiding it from God. You're living a lie and you know that's not cool. It haunts you. Nobody has to tell you. You feel it, man. You know it. And this morning it's decision time, just like Witt in that prison cell. He chose to put his faith in Christ once again. Maybe you've drifted and wandered away. Today would be a great time right here, right now, to say, Lord, forgive me. You know, I'm coming into the light. No more lying, no more deceiving. I'm done with it, Lord. And here I am. So, today we are uh, continuing in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You want to go there with me? Um, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. 
How's that always being joyful for you going? <laughs> that's from last. That's, you've had seven days of work on. Always joyful, always praying. Um, being thankful in all circumstances. Thumbs up. Yeah, man. It's been good for seven days. Well, let's press on. Let's press on. Let the Lord work in through us. And so coming off of that, uh, well, let's pick it up in verse 16. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, Lord, we're good with that. It's your will. We'll, we'll jump on board. 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Until when? Until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He's coming again. This letter repeats it, that Jesus is coming. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. I am so grateful. It's all because of God. And um, Whit Criswell experienced that same work, grace, uh, empowerment in his life as he allowed the Holy Spirit to work freely. So Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity we have to gather. Lord, we are looking forward to the day when the body of Christ can come together and celebrate you as a family of God. Here we are, God, saying thank you. Thank you for this gift, this treasure that you've given to us, your word. We get to read it. We get to obey it. We get to say yes to you. And this morning, just like... Um, what Criswell had had to allow you to work in his life to experience freedom, chains being broken off. Lord, I pray for those folks today that might need that same surgery by your spirit. And uh, we pray that you would be very active today. We all need you. We all need more of you. And so we want to give you permission to roam the corridors of our lives freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one in your notes, keep the fire burning. Is there a song like that? <laughs> Maybe somebody should write a song. Uh, keep the fire burning. And, and you might think, well, what does that have to do with, with verse 19? Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Well, let's, let's dig in and let's apply it. Uh, it. It will make sense in a moment. The NIV says, do not quench the spirit. Message puts it, don't suppress the spirit. That word stifle, by the way, do not stifle the Holy Spirit, literally means to douse a fire. Dousing a fire, putting a fire out. The implication is that the Holy Spirit coming into our lives is like a consuming fire. And we should allow that fire to burn up anything that's not honoring to the Lord. 
He's a consuming fire. And so to stifle the Holy Spirit would be to forbid or restrain his work in our lives. We think about it. The God who, who spoke the universe into being, the God who created you and I in the womb, this God who is all-powerful, almighty, he gives you and I the freedom to say no to him. God, you can go so far and then you've got to stop. We put up barriers, blockades, banners. You're not allowed in this corner. And Rick Creswell was very good at that, wasn't he? God, you can go so far. I'm a Sunday-only dude, man. You know, I go to church. I, I look like I got it together. But God, you can't go so far into my core to deal with those issues that are controlling me. And so, the fire, the fire. We don't want to restrain his work. Leviticus 6.13, talking about um, the tabernacle. There was a fire on the altar. It says, remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. And so this, this altar where sacrifices were made for the sins of the people, God was commissioning, uh, hey, that fire on the altar, we need to keep it going because we always need to stay current with issues in our lives. We can't allow it to, to build up over time. You know, we have had a little life pantry where we keep throwing stuff not dealing with it. <laughs> Pretty soon we can't close the door on the pantry, man. <laughs> Not good. Not good. We need to stay current. Keep the fires burning. Last week I watched uh, uh, 1942 Saboteur movie. And, uh, and it took place in America, of course, during World War II. And uh, a factory on the West Coast, they were building... Uh, military planes for combat. Well, somebody got into the factory and uh, started a fire. And one of the people that were involved saboteuring, uh, they they got a, a fire extinguisher. And instead of, you know, a, the way a fire extinguisher should put out a fire, they emptied it with the chemicals and put gasoline in it. And so the saboteur handed it to one of the workers. Hey, you know, we got to save the plant. And so when he sprayed it, it just gasoline went everywhere and it, he was consumed in the flames, killing him. I tell you what, it's easy to put the fire out. It is in our lives. It's very easy. We just neglect the fire. You know? uh, if you notice, it, when you go camping, what do you do? You, you ha have a fire, and when you leave your campsite, you, it's, you become intentional about putting that fire out so it doesn't spread through the woods to other campsites, right? That's your responsibility. You have to be intentional about putting the fire out. Well, that fire that's burning in our core, that the Holy Spirit starts, we can neglect that fire. And Paul is writing to this church saying, do not 
stifled. Do not put the fire of the Holy Spirit that's in you, don't put it out. Don't let it go out. And so, um, how's that working for you? How's that fire burning in your life uh, today? Um, By warning the believers not to stifle the Holy Spirit, it's very possible that Paul had heard that this young church literally was grieving the Spirit. Maybe they were making wrong choices, decisions. Uh, when you go through this entire letter of First Thessalonians, you, you, you remember how Paul had said, this is how you need to live your lives. And maybe there was pushback on that. And I have to tell you, unfortunately, the church in America today, it's becoming very popular for we Americans to dictate what we will agree with in the Bible and what we won't agree with. And I I, I can simply say, if you want to make your life easier, just say yes to God's word. Keep it simple. Don't don't complicate your life. You know? Maybe things that you are trending towards and you know that's not honoring to the Lord and you do it anyway because you live in America, you have the right to do what you want to do. What you're doing is you're making yourself God with a small g. Displacing God, capital G, off his throne. You are becoming God. That's not a healthy thing. And so, um, when God speaks to you, you do not want to become very good at saying no to him. You don't want to become a professional uh, in this talent of, of resisting God and saying no to him. You want to say, yes, Lord. And it reminds me, Years ago, when um, our, the pastor we had at our church when I was younger was a missionary in Liberia, Africa, uh, for 14 years, and, and he kind of came back with this song. And I remember on Sunday nights, especially when the altar, this would be considered an altar right here, the front of, of the platform, maybe the front row of people would come after the teaching, and they would spend time in God's presence. That was just common. That was common in the day. Uh, you would just go to the altar, and you would, you would, you know, it's a brand new week. You're you're setting the course for your week. God, I'm I'm submitting to you. And this is the song that He taught us. And it's not very complicated. I'll say yes, yes, yes. I'll say yes, yes, yes. I'll say yes, Lord. I'll say yes, Lord. I'll say yes, yes, yes. That's what the Spirit of God is waiting. Will you say yes? Or will you stifle, will you douse the fire? It's up to you. It's the freedom you have.
I've been endeavoring to say yes to the Lord. I'm not perfect at it by no means. But that's my desire to say yes. Number two, don't scoff, test everything, hold the good. Don't scoff, test everything. Man, this verse 20, 21, it's loaded. Hold the good. Here it is. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. God has appointed certain people as prophets um, to the church. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, talks about it. We see it uh, that these prophets... um, uh, they would exhort, encourage, strengthen God's people. In Acts 15.32, it gives us a, a picture of what that looks like. In Acts, what, then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. Now, um, when you read through the Old Testament and you read through the prophets and those words... Uh, you, those of you that were here a few weeks ago, you heard me mention that Jeremiah had been uh, prophesying, giving words from the Lord. The Lord would, would tell him what to say, and he would say it to the people of Israel. They had been saying no to God, no to God, no to God. And, and God, after 23 years of Israel saying no to God, he finally said, it's time to be disciplined. It's time for judgment. And I think we all agreed that 23 years is a long time for God to be waiting, calling, speaking. And so those prophets were were the voice of the Lord to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have some that have that gift as well. And... um, Paul says, don't scoff at, the, at, at prophecies. And um, uh, evidently the Thessalonians were, were treating some prophecies, probably warnings, maybe corrections with what they didn't agree with, and they scoffed at it. Kind of like we just, we just addressed this, that we have the freedom to embrace what the Lord is saying and wanting to do in our lives, or we can, we can push back on it. And, and Paul was recognizing, even in this young church, there was pushback, you know. I don't want, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to apply that to my life. And so um, that's why Paul is writing this very thing. Now, he's not advocating blind acceptance. This is, this is important for all of us to hear. Because not everything that is said is from the Lord. And that's why... Paul goes on after saying, don't scoff at it, but the next thing is what? Test everything. Test everything. How can you test everything? I'll tell you this, if you're not reading your Bible consistently, you can't test anything. Because you don't know what the truth is. That's why so many in the body of Christ in America today are being deceived. They are. It's not, in the, it's not in God's word, man, you know? Justifying, rationalizing why this is okay when it's plainly in God's word. So, I don't like, I don't know about you, but I, 
do not like to be lied to or deceived. Do you? I mean, do you get a kick out of that when somebody lies to you or you're deceived? Huh? Does it make you feel good? We have a mechanic in town that, man, he could have taken advantage of us. Our whole family brings their cars there. Why? Because we can trust him. He's honest. He's proven it over and over again. He could, he could have taken advantage of us many times, but we can trust him. Doesn't that feel good when you can trust somebody? Yeah. And that's where Paul is saying, man, you have a responsibility, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to test everything. What I say on Sunday mornings, don't take it for, you know, I don't have to check into it. No, check into it. Study it. Dig into it to find out if it's true, if it's in God's word or not. And so um, we need to then (laughs) hold on to what is good. That word good is an interesting word, by the way. Hold on to what is good. What does that mean? It means, um, it's a word that means you test something that's genuine. It's like a genuine coin. It's not counterfeit. Um, Last month, uh, we were in a Sonics restaurant. Sonics. Uh, Some of you may have been there, you know. And so uh, we got out of our car. Our car was back over here. You see it? It's over here. We're sitting at those round tables under the canopy, and we're, we're, uh, we're just kind of eating our ice cream, you know. And then the manager comes storming out of, uh, out of the building to a car, $50 bill, and stands there and says, this is counterfeit. This is counterfeit. And, and so... Um, she, the, the manager goes back into the building and, um, and, and the lady gets out of the car and she, she wants her counterfeit 50 back. You hear this conversation going on and, and the manager says, no, you're not going to get it back. So she takes off, thinking maybe the police are coming. Uh, and we ended up talking to the manager and she said, this happens all the time. This happens all the time. Counterfeit. Well, how can they tell? They've got a machine uh, in the restaurant where they just put it under a light and it, it, it can tell you if it's real, genuine, or counterfeit. Paul is saying, put everything under the light of God's word. Prove that it is not counterfeit, but it's genuine. That's what he's saying about these words, man. Put it under God's light. Test it. And if it's, if, it's, if it's genuine, hold on to it. Hold on to it with everything you've got. So that's, that's encouraging news too. Um, Acts 17, 11, the Bereans, and who are the Bereans? Paul talks about the Bereans lived in where? Berea. Man. That's good for a Sunday morning. Berea. People who live in Berea, they live, they're Bereans. And um, 
And so um, Berea is in Macedonia. Paul went there on his second missionary journey, and he presented the gospel. And something about the Bereans, they they tested everything, kind of what Paul's talking about in, in Acts 17, 11. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They embraced what Paul was saying, and they listened eagerly to his message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Isn't that amazing? And so we need to be like the Bereans. We need to dig into God's word consistently and find out what it says and apply it to our lives and and test it. Number three, stay away from evil. So after holding on to the good, we need to stay away from every kind of evil. Verse 22, the separation is real and important. The believers need to hold on to the good, verse 21, and at the same time, they're supposed to stay away from every kind of evil. That word, um, stay away, (laughs) what do you think stay away means in Greek? You guys are going deep today, man. You're going deep. (laughs) It means to hold oneself off, refrain, abstain. Um, Now, when you read this verse all by itself, uh, you might think, well, Paul is saying we should build a bunker, you know, call it it the end of the day. Uh, This is what we're looking at um, do we have a bunker? No, it, it, it must have been biodegradable. <laughs> Those aren't very good. Um, anyway, Paul's not saying you build a bunker, you know, a holy huddle. You know, this, there it is. She's smiling in her bunker. Um, it is biodegrading, though. Can't you tell? It needs some help there. But anyway, Paul is not saying... Get a holy huddle, a bunch of followers of Christ together in the middle of a desert, build a bunker and call it the end of the day until Jesus comes. That is not what Paul's talking about. He recognizes we live in a broken, sin-loaded world. How can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're living in a bunker, right? That's... So don't get the bunker mentality. This is, you know, next week I'm going to go to Amazon and dial in a bunker and order it and go out in the desert and call it the day. No, that's not what he's talking about. Paul recognized that as followers of Christ, they needed to let their light shine. They needed to be salt in their culture. Christians can't avoid contact with evil. Have you noticed that? You cannot avoid that. Um, Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. And so, believers can, just like Whit Criswell did, he, he put the fire out in his core, and he allowed an addiction to become a stronghold. That's what Paul is talking about. Do not allow the enemy to get a foothold in your life 
you need to avoid tempting situations. Don't walk into temptation. You know what you gravitate towards. Put a barrier there, you know. Be accountable. Uh, don't go alone into a situation where there's temptation. Um, instead, keep your, keep your eyes on Christ. Romans 12, 9, do, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. There it is again. Hold tight to what's good. Major on that. Number four, wow, God is working in me. Now, that word wow, it's supposed to carry some heavy weight here. Like, wow, oh, wow. See, we could be be passive about it. Oh, wow. That's cool, you know. That's, that's not what Paul is, is talking about. It's like, whoa, baby, God is working in my life. Woo! That's what he's talking about. The God who is sustaining all of creation by his spoken word wants to get involved in your life and my life. Why? Because it gives him a blast. He loves it. He loves to be involved. And so, you know, um, Paul's talking about those things we talked about last week and today. Uh, it's, it's impossible, you know, staying away from all evil um, unless you have God working in your life. That makes it all possible. And so... You've heard me say this before, it is incredible. As a follower of Christ for a while, for decades, where you don't put it on cruise control, but you allow God's spirit to have freedom to work in your life, and when you realize that he's changing you, present day, you know, up to date, not what he did five years ago, but what he did last week, you see the change in your life. That's, that's motivating, man, to keep that going, to keep the fire burning. Yes, Lord, you have freedom in my life. Keep at it, God. I give you permission. It keeps your relationship on go instead of just a ritual, whole hump thing. No, it's alive. It's relevant. And, and God's making a difference. So, um, so point one, God gives peace. We, we sang about that earlier. Now may the God of peace, Paul describes God as a God of peace as he often did in the conclusion of his letters in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, 2 Thessalonians, even here. Jesus himself, before he went to the cross, Talking to his disciples in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift. What's the gift? Peace of mind and heart. How many of you would like to have peace of mind and heart? How many people are looking for peace of mind and heart today in our world? Huh? It's a lost commodity. 
That's why drug addiction and alcoholism is spiking and prescription drugs, man, because people are trying to find peace, man. And Jesus said, I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) I'm going to give it to you. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So, 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 so what? Don't be troubled or afraid. That's good news, isn't it? Can you imagine Jesus standing here this morning? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. I've got it. I'm going to give you peace. John 16, 33, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So I was thinking, um, putting this together, the famous Sunday school song. How many of you remember that? I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. Remember that song? Yeah. Kids were singing that. I've got peace like a river. And that's good. It's a good thing, especially the world we're living in today. I had a conversation with somebody last week, and we were talking about, yeah, this is going on, and this is going on. But they said, but I have a peace. God's given me peace. And I said, that's, that's what I have experienced as well, man. It's, it's, it's peace from God. And um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That is a daily prayer that I have for uh, our children, for my wife, for myself. Lord, that you will, your peace will guard our hearts and minds. It's an anchor. your mind, your heart, all susceptible to fear. I have peace like a river, and it's flowing through my soul. Number two, God is making me holy. See, that's when he's involved, he's making me holy. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. When God takes up residence in our lives, when we put our faith in him, we, that word justification, that means just as if I had never sinned because he's forgiven me. The blood that he shed on the cross, we say, Lord, I'm receiving this gift of salvation. You took my sin debt, you paid it in full. I'm receiving that free gift. And by doing that, he forgives you. Justification, it's a, it's a theological word, but it means just as if I never sinned. When, when I come into the presence of God because I've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Whit Criswell experienced that same thing. He had been forgiven. And so um, sanctification kicks in. 
And, and this is where some people, this is my own personal thought. Some people, when they put their faith in Christ, they think, okay, now my name is in the book of life. I can just put it on cruise control spiritually, you know, just kind of coast, go with the flow, don't make any waves until Jesus comes and I'll get into heaven. Can I tell you something? That's a drag, huh? That's a drag. But again, when we go, wow, God is working in my life, sanctification, we give him permission for the rest of our lives as long as we're breathing on this planet that we, we allow that fire to keep burning and he's changing us into the image of Jesus, you know? And you look back where you came from and you look at where you are today by the grace of God, you're a different person on the inside. And that's what holy, may God of peace make you holy in every way. That means every part of you. Um, Remember the day on HGTV when Chip and Joanna Gaines were on Fixer Upper? <laughs> uh, they're sneaking them back on, by the way, for reruns. But um, um, what do they do? They go into a dilapidated house and they renovate it, right? And always before the commercial, something, a crisis, man. We just found out the foundation's cracked. Or you need a new roof, and you're thinking, well, oh no, oh no, it's hopeless. And you come back from the commercial, and they have a solution, you know? And your heart just smiles, man, that's so cool, that's so cool, you know? Well, that's the way it is with God, man. He, sanctification is we're dilapidated in sin, and he comes in with hammers and saws, man. And if you're real quiet, you can hear the hammering going on right now. <laughs> and so that's a good sound. It's a good sound. That, re <laughs> that reminds me of another song. <laughs> Maybe some of you know it. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars... Anybody know that song? No. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. You should put that on your refrigerator. He's still working on me. He's not done, right? He's not done. He's still working on me. Number three, God is keeping everything blameless. Verse 23c, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He's coming again. There it is. This phrase um, is, it, Paul is saying, God wants to work in every area of your life. Your, your spirit, your soul, your body. There's not a part he wants to detour. He wants to hit every part of us. How's that going in your life? You giving God spirit, soul, and body? Hmm? Are there parts of your body that you're shut off to God? You know, No, 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 you can't go there. Paul is saying, let him have your whole. He needs to work in every area. He doesn't want us to be a Sunday-only group of people, you know, but seven days, 24-7. Blameless, blameless. Man, let him, let him have it. Philippians 3.20, 
But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into a glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his command, man. There's coming a day when we will stand with new bodies, no more sin temptation, no more sickness, disease, no more pain or suffering, man. He's coming. He's coming. And we are preparing ourselves for that great day. Number five. Are you ready? Ready? Our faithful God makes all this happen. Well, we just talked about it's all because of God. It's all because of God. Verse 24, God will make this happen. How do I know? For he who calls you is faithful. Woo! Oh, that's good. Should we read it again? Yes, thank you. We'll read it again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Do you realize that from Genesis to Revelation, there are 8,810 promises in the Bible? I think we could say that's a lot. That's a lot. That's more than one. But check this out. There are 7,487 promises made by God to you and to me. God made them. Aren't you glad for that? God made promises, and he keeps those promises. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Man. God is making a promise to do all this cool stuff in us. If we let him, God will make it happen. And and here's the thing. We always kind of get caught up in that trap. I need to work harder. I need to try harder. No, 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 you don't. No, you don't. You know what you need to do? He's the vine. I'm a branch. Just stay on the vine. Stay on the vine. Hang with God. Let God work in and through you, and you rest in that fact. He's the vine. I'm the branch. Do I have to get all worked up? No. Do I have to try harder to stay on the vine? No. I just stay on the vine. <laughs> I stay on the vine. And there's a song like that, isn't there? Since we're talking about songs today. <laughs> indeed. Indeed there are. Oh, man. Um, verse... 24, God will make this happen. Five, five words. There's no hesitation. You, you see, he may do it. He might do it. He could do it. He'll do it if he feels like it. He will do it if we do our part. No. No. God will make this happen. It's a done deal. God will make it happen. And one day we'll stand before Jesus reflecting his character because we know that what God starts he will finish and he started and he wants to finish if we were to go to Charlotte North Carolina today and go to the Billy Graham library 
Ruth Graham's grave is nearby that, and engraved on her tombstone are these words, end of construction, thank you for your patience. What's Ruth saying? Ruth is saying God has a hammer and a saw. And Ruth said, all my life I wanted to become more like Jesus, and I gave him permission, man, to make me like him. And now that she's passed away, no more construction. It's done. Thank you for your patience. Why? Because we're not perfect, are we? No, we need to extend patience as God works in and through us so that we're like him. God is faithful. He will do it. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you. Lord, we, we kind of get up in a, caught up in a trap that we have to try harder. We have to, we have to work harder. We have, to, we have to do this to make you love us more. But may we be reminded today that you love us fully. You can't love us anymore. And so may we simply, as a bunch of branches, Lord, help us to stay connected to the vine, you. And Lord, we want to live for you before you come. We want to be ready for when you come. We want to model Jesus. We want to be a living billboard wherever we go that accurately displays the character of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, once again, we're reminded that God will make this happen if we give you permission. I pray for each one of us today, Lord, that we would simply say yes to you. That we will purpose to keep the fire burning. We won't let the fire go out, but that we will pursue you. So we thank you, Lord that we don't have to try harder, but we remind ourselves that God will make this happen because God is faithful. You're faithful. We thank you for that great characteristic, Lord. You are faithful. I pray your blessing on each person in this room this morning as we allow your Holy Spirit to Do some surgery in us, in areas that your spirit's been tapping us on these last moments of time. We say yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.